13. Luke chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 5 in just a moment. You know, as our children grow up, we try to teach them as many things as we can, profitable things. One of the things we have to teach them is a vocabulary and build on that and give them, help them understand the meaning of words. And a kid once said to his dad, he said, thank you, you've taught me the meaning of the word many. It, it really means a lot. I love dad jokes. Some of you didn't get that. (laughs) You'll get it later. Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. The Bible says here, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt at Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So for a few minutes this morning, I'd love to like to preach to you a sermon called Turn or Burn. Turn or Burn. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together, please. Father, help us as we've now opened up the Scripture and read this portion of the words of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray let them sink deep into our hearts. And Lord, you know, you know in this room today who is in need of that repentance. I pray that you might deal with the hearts as you see fit. Lord, We want to prepare the way for you to come straight to our hearts. We don't want to have any distractions. We don't want our mind and heart racing off some other place. Help us, God, to be in the room as you speak to us. Father, please fill me with your spirit. I need your help, please. In Jesus' name, amen. There's actually not a lot I need to say to help you understand this passage. This is one of the more straightforward sermons that I get to preach because it's one of the more straightforward things that Jesus said. He addressed the point head on. Very hard to miss the point. You can see that some of these people that were present, they came and began to talk to Jesus about a political event that had just happened. A political injustice. And this kind of reinforces the idea that politics is always relevant. Somebody's always talking about it. And Perhaps I should say somebody's always complaining about it. Never did that help, but that's just mankind. That's how we are. And, and I understand it because it does affect our lives. We like to bring it up. This crowd has brought this occasion to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, did you hear about the Galileans? Now, who are the Galileans? Well, it can be just a random group of people from the northern part of Israel. It could be that. But there was a man named Judas of Galilee. You read about him in Acts chapter 5 and verse 37. And Judas of Galilee, about 30 years before this passage happened, Judas had raised up a group of people, hundreds of people within Israel, and convinced them to rebel against the Roman government. He convinced them to stop paying taxes and just make life difficult for the Romans. So Judas passed away very soon after he started this insurrection, but it could be that some of his followers were still there and still operating and doing so in in a manner that would cause the Roman government to watch over them and, and keep them on the radar a bit. It's probable that these Galileans, refusing to pay taxes, now they're in Jerusalem at some sort of a feast, That's why they would go to the temple. They went to offer their sacrifices like a good Jew should. And Pilate saw this as his opportunity to make a public example of them. And he executed them in one of the most blasphemous ways he could think of. While they are offering their sacrifices, Pilate offered his. Pilate offered up the Galileans on the altar that they were offering on. Just to make a public show. 
And we know this from the history books, Pilate was known to do such things. He was a very hard, brutal man in, in these kind of ways. He liked to put his foot down and show who was in charge. The only time you read about Pilate trembling and Pilate sounding scared is when he comes up against Jesus Christ because he knows I've met a man with more power than me. Pilate three times declared Jesus innocent. And his famous words as Jesus came out bloodied and bruised from the scourging that he had just received, Pilate told the crowd, Behold the man. It's the only time that Pilate ever cowered that we know of. Many times he was thumping his chest, making a point. So these people have come to Jesus and said, What do you think about this? Did you hear about it? Did you see it in your Facebook feed or blowing up on social media or going viral or whatever it is? Now, Jesus, rather than getting sucked in to a political conversation that wouldn't do any good, he could, uh, Jesus could go on and on talking about how bad Pilate is. Is that going to make Pilate any better? No. Pilate's not there, is he? Pilate's not part of the conversation. So to go on and on about how bad Pilate is is not going to help the people that brought up this story. Rather, Jesus steers the conversation towards something profitable. Now, my sermon is not about this, but I think it's worth saying. Whenever you have an opportunity to steer a conversation away from gossip, away from complaining, away from murmuring, away from filthy uh, jesting, when you can steer the conversation back towards getting that person close to God, do all you can to evangelize. Do you see how Jesus did this? He could have easily started going on about politics, but he didn't. He said, well, Pilate's not here. You folks are here. Let's talk about you for a minute. Do you think that the Galileans that were killed on that altar, do you think that they were worse sinners than you are? And then he turns their attention to another story that Jesus was aware of. What about those 18? The tower fell on them. Now, we don't have any more information historically or biblically about this tragedy, but a tragedy it was. He says, now you guys might, you might think that the people that had this sudden tragedy, this sudden destruction fall upon them, you might think that they are worse people than you, but I'm here to tell you they're not. Those people, those Galileans, perhaps we look at what happened and we think, well, they were probably incredibly wicked people, and this was God's way of punishing them. And Jesus is quick to point out, that's not the case at all. Those people were sinners just like you are, the average garden variety sinners. And they, the, the punishment, the, the destruction that suddenly came on them, that same type of thing can happen to you and worse. It can happen in a moment. But we are prone to think that when something awful happens to some other group, they deserved it, but not us. We, would, we are not worthy of such harsh treatment and such gross uh, destruction and calamity. Surely, sore judgment would not fall on somebody like us. Let's make sure we understand the picture properly. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all become unprofitable. The Bible says they have all gone out of the way. The Bible says there's not one that doeth good. No, not one. There's none. Friend, that includes you. That includes me. That includes your auntie and your grandma. Amen. I'm not trying to be mean about your grandma. I'm just trying to make the point that it doesn't matter who she is or who he is or where they're from or their skin color or their language or what they've done. We all, because we are sinful people, fallen people, fallen short of the glory of God, there's no reason that such horrible, sudden destruction wouldn't fall on us. We need not walk around thumping our chest, held, uh, heads held high as if this type of thing could never befall us because we're just better than that. No, we're not. No, we're not. Verse number four talks about a tower that fell. And this rushes my mind back to 
2001, September the 11th. I was still in America at the time. I had not yet moved to Africa, although I was on my way here. I was raising the necessary funds to come here. I was in Florida. I'll never forget where I was. It was a Tuesday morning. I was in the pharmacy section of a Walmart, which is kind of like a game store, but in, the, in America, this Walmart has its own pharmacy, its own grocery store and everything. So I was standing in, in line there by the chemist, and they have TVs posted throughout the Walmart, and I could see that a plane had hit the tower. And at first I thought, that must be fake news. This kind of thing doesn't happen to us. We're Americans. Nobody would be stupid enough to attack us on our own, on our own land. This has got to be fake news. And then as I was watching another plane hit the other tower, and I could, I could hear, that usually they don't put any sound to it, there was a, a, a hush that fell over the entire Walmart. Everybody stopped shopping the background music was shut off and they turned up the volume on these news broadcasts and we could hear as they were, it started to sink in with the broadcasters. This is real. This isn't an accident. This wasn't a plane that accidentally lost control. These planes have been hijacked. This was done on purpose. And the gravity of that situation began to sink in and I could feel the blood just seemingly rush from my body. I, I started to get cold and numb and I thought this are we heading for war? Are we under attack? It was just hours after this. Churches got very busy. I mean, immediately, all over America, pastors rushed down to their churches, opened the doors, and people were rushing into the churches wanting to pray and begging God for mercy. And I tell you what, for the next two, three, four months, churches were full. Sinners had realized by that point, this could happen to anybody. We thought, as Americans, we thought we're above that. This surely couldn't happen to us. But we found out real quick, that same, those tragedies you read about in history books, it can happen to you. This sudden destruction that came on the Galileans and on the people at the Tower of Siloam, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. But listen, when Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He's not saying you might die in a tower accident or you might die by persecution on an altar. You know what he's saying? You are facing a far worse destruction than those guys. What happened to them is going to seem like a small thing. It's going to seem like a picnic there at the beach if you guys don't repent. When he says you'll likewise perish, not that you're going to experience the same destruction but that it can happen to you suddenly even though you're not expecting it. Because the Galileans went to the altar. Listen, they were going there as religious people. They thought we're going there. Surely we have the blessing of God on us. We're offering up sacrifices and sudden destruction found religious people that were at church while they were at church. The people going about their business nearby the Tower of Siloam that's exactly what they were doing, just going on about their business, thinking such a horrible thing could never happen to me. How many people in the world today will not wake up tomorrow in this world? They will open their eyes and they'll be in a horrible place the Bible calls hell. And the first thing that will go through their mind is, I never thought this could happen to me. And that's the point Jesus is driving home. You think that it's just them. You think that group is somehow worse than you. You're facing a worse destruction if you don't repent. You know, as we, the reports continued to come in about the Twin Towers falling, and people started to broadcast, you know, the lives of those that had died. Over 3,000 had died on that day in the accident, in the, in the terrorist attack. And of course, they're going to tell the story as you would at a funeral. This is my loved one. This was their job. They're going to tell you all the great things about them. And rightfully so. Please understand, I'm not against that. But let's be honest here. You know who was in those towers? I don't, please understand, what happened was wrong and a tragedy and injustice. By no means am I justifying that. But in those buildings, there were adulterers. There were liars. There were corrupt businessmen. 
There were corrupt politicians. There were angry, bitter people. There were unbelievers. Those, those twin towers were, were filled, listen, with sinners. You know where you could find them? You could go tomorrow to Checkers and you'll find the same crowd. You can go tomorrow to the campus, you'll find the same crowd. You can go tomorrow to your home, you'll find the same crowd. Look around here this morning at church, it's the same crowd. Being there at a religious building at the temple didn't protect these folks from some sudden destruction. Just because you came to a church doesn't mean you're saved. Jesus said, except you repent, ye shall all, all, all likewise perish. Why? Because there's none that doeth good. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. A couple of months after the towers had fallen, my wife and I were in New Jersey. Of course, the towers fell in New York. New Jersey, from where we were, was about a 45-minute drive into the city. And the pastor of that church knew some policemen in New York City. So he called them. We were at a missions conference. There were two or three pastors and a couple missionaries. So the, the pastor of that church organized us to go into New York City. And we got to go behind what they called the Black Curtain. So they had wrapped a black curtain around the entire uh, attack site where the towers had fallen and only families of the victims could go in and, and say goodbye and he organized so that we could go in. We got there and I've been to New York City a few times. I have never heard that city so quiet. This is two months after it had happened. Even with the work going on, moving the debris away, there was just a an eerie feeling throughout that city. The policeman met us there where we parked and he escorted us behind that black curtain and it was heavy. When you got inside of that and saw the buildings laying in rubble, guys, the smoke was still going up. The planes that had fallen, you remember they caused a massive fire, it was still burning two months later. There was smoke still coming up. You could smell what... There's only one smell I've ever smelled like that. I've never smelled death and burning jet fuel and building. It was just unforgettable. That policeman said, feel free to walk around. You can see where the parameters are. And they had built a scaffold to where the, the families of the fallen could walk down this wooden walkway and get to the end of it almost like a precipice, like you would see at a... At the, at the lake or something where you dock the boats, that kind of thing, a pier. And we stood out and we could see right down into the wreckage. And then when we looked down, we saw on the railing, that wooden railing where people had written notes to their loved ones, had written a message saying goodbye, we love you, we miss you. One of the more heart-wrenching things I've ever, I've ever had to stand and endure to read those messages one by one, hundreds, even thousands of them written all over that. I looked up and I saw off to the right from where we were standing, there was a signpost. And, and you, I believe you can still see it to this day, if I'm not mistaken. But you, you see these in big towns. I know Cape Town has one. I've seen it there before. It'll say to a major city, London, so many kilometers, or in America, of course, miles. So it said London, this many, Tokyo, this many, Honolulu, this many. And then at the bottom, they had added one more signboard, hell zero miles. You understand the point they're getting across. You have just left, re left earth and entered hell. No, you hadn't. No, you hadn't. Now, I'm not, I, I, I understand, I'm not trying to make light of what happened, but that's not hell. And what happened to them could happen to us, and we wouldn't be able to raise a fist at God and say, how dare you? I'm not worthy of that. Yeah, you are. You have offended an almighty God. You have sinned against your Creator. You are worthy of that. And this, all of this that I've said brings me to the one point of this sermon. Repent. That's the one thing Jesus wanted to get across to these people. You need... You need to repent. And if you don't, 
you will suffer the consequences. There's nothing deep. I don't need to dress that up. It is what it is. You, you, young person, you, old person, you, old man, old woman, you, sinner. I'm talking to sinners. If there's any sinners in the room, you need to perk your ears and listen. You accept, you repent. Jesus said, you will likewise perish. Everything will just be going on normal about your day, going to church, going past the Tower of Siloam on your way to work, and then all of a sudden, you've breathed your final breath. Take your Bible, look at Luke chapter 12 and verse number 20. Luke 12 and verse number 20. Jesus, and we've talked about this parable recently, but God said unto him, Jesus speaking here, telling the story about this guy with bigger barns. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So many people are going about building their bigger barns. Not even being mindful that you one day will step out of time into eternity. Are you ready for that? Because that moment you breathe your last breath, there's a good chance death is not going to give you any forewarning. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And it can find you any time that it sees fit. Take your Bible if you would and please turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 17. We'll, be, we'll, we'll address that verse in just a moment that I'd like to show you there. It has come to my attention since I've been saved that preaching about repentance is not a very popular thing to do. Much easier to tell dad jokes. I get a much better reaction. Not out of today's dad joke. That didn't go over so well. But I'll teach you the meaning of the word many some other time. It'll still mean a lot. Sorry, I had to, I had to slip that in. I had to break the tension because as soon as you start preaching about repentance, it, it's so easy to say, okay, I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying. A change needs to be made, but not in me. It's offensive because if I say repent, it intimates that you're doing something wrong or you're thinking something wrong. And all of a sudden, who are you to tell me I need to change? And it's become wildly unpopular. You don't make a lot of friends by starting off your sermons with repent. But you go and look at the life of John the Baptist as we know it in the Bible. The first word he said when he stood up to preach in the wilderness was repent. The first word we have recorded of Jesus preaching in the Bible, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, repent. When he healed the man in front of the temple in Acts chapter 3, he told the Jews, repent ye and be converted. The apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter number 26, he said, God sent me to the Gentiles so that they should repent. It's a biblical message. It's a right message, but it's a wildly unpopular message. It's strange the double standard we have. When you go to the doctor, do you want him to tell you that everything's fine or do you want the truth? You want the truth? I mean, he can, he can just hand you the lollipop and say, listen, everything's fine. Send you home and we'll have your funeral in a few weeks. <laughs> or he can tell you the truth. He can say, listen, man, I know you're going on about your life and you may not foresee the danger of this disease. It may not feel that bad today, but if you don't fix things, if you don't change the way you eat, if you don't change the way you live, if you don't change several things, you are not going to make it. You need somebody to lovingly tell you that you're on the wrong path. If somebody doesn't say repent, and if you don't believe that message, you will likewise perish. Strange how we want, the, we pay the doctor to tell us the truth. You wait two extra hours. You, amen, I don't mean to get on this, but you, your appointment's at one o'clock. You will sit there till three o'clock waiting impatiently to see that doctor and then give that man money to tell you that you're messed up. Brother Francis, well, get the bags. Let's take up an offering. <laughs> I want you folks to feel at home. I'll have you sitting here two more hours. 
I'll take your money and then I tell you that you're going to die. So why do we do it? We love you. We care. We care. The name of my sermon today is Turn or Burn. Do you see where I get that? A while back, a young lady in our church went to visit another church and while she, were, she was there, she overheard some, she was actually standing there in the group, they were chit-chatting, and, and one person told another, they're talking about our church, said, well, we are not the, the, the dry of braai kerk, dry of braai, turn or burn, yes, turn or burn, and, and, and the young lady thought, oh, I, I, they're talking about my church, now she didn't say anything, it was one against many, so she just stayed quiet. I came back and I, she said, you know, I was bothered by that. It hurt my feelings. And I said, listen, that's a compliment. She said, well, they didn't mean it like one. But, but it's a compliment. That is how Jesus preached. For somebody to say, we are not a, a turn or burn church. You're not a Jesus church? You mean Jesus wouldn't be invited to stand up and say what he wanted to say? To say what he said right here? If we're going to have a church, by all means, we want the words of Jesus to be free in this church. To have free course. You may not like to hear it. It may not be very friendly, friend-seeking type of atmosphere. But hey, it's what you need to hear. I was in Builder's Warehouse not long ago, talking with one of the workers there. He actually found me. And uh, we got to chatting about church and the Lord and and uh, he started telling me his history. I mean, whew, we were there 45 minutes. He was telling me everything he knew about the Lord. And at one point, he, I asked him, where do you go to church now? He said, oh, I know I don't go to church. I said, all right. I was trying to be patient. And he said, you know, too many of these churches, you go in and all, all they're doing is telling you that if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. And it's just fire and damnation. And, you know, I just can't get behind that kind of preaching. I said, I'm sorry, sir. Hang on. I'm not going to let you stand there and blaspheme my Savior. Because it's Jesus Christ who said that one day He will say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This business of, well, we're not supposed to scare people into a decision for Christ. What do you want me to do with the truth? You want me to lie to you so that you get to the truth? You want me to lie to you so that you come to Christ? No, no, no. Listen, you're fine the way you are. Jesus would just rather you stand a little closer to him. How about this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said, I'll tell you who to fear. Don't fear them that kill the body but can't kill the soul. Yea, rather fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The problem is too many Christians and too many preachers are afraid of public opinion and they're scared that you're going to frown and never come back to their church and never give them more money and hold back the truth and you never find Christ because you don't know you need him. Somebody thinks that because you've come to their church you must be fine. No, you'll all likewise perish if you don't repent. The person who thinks that's not for me, I'm above that, is the person who needs to hear that the most. I think it is wrong to provoke fear where there's nothing to be afraid of. To tell people things like, if you don't give money in this offering, God's going to punish you. That's a lie. Oral Roberts years ago said, if you don't give me a million dollars to build this new building, Jesus is going to kill me. His people gave him a million dollars. Now that's a lie. That, that's using fear that God, God never said that was going to happen. He's not telling truth. He's just manipulating the crowd, telling people your grandfather was a mason, so now you're under a generational curse. That's just a lie out of the pits of hell. That ain't true. That, that's fear where there should be no fear. Telling people that because you made a mistake with a woman, now your souls are tied together. No, they're not. That's nowhere in the Bible. But see, that's unnecessary fear. But telling somebody that one day you're going to stand before God and every secret thing you've ever thought, said, or done is going to come out and you will give an account on that day. Folks, that's just truth. I'm telling you that so that you can get ready for that day so you can find a way to pass that judgment and not be condemned. The Bible says in the book of Jude, 
Some save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Well, that means I got to tell you there's a fire. And then, by the grace of God, pull you out. In Acts chapter number 17, I want you to see, as Paul was speaking to the Athenians here, Acts 17, verse number 30. Acts 17 and 30. The Bible says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. And he's talking about all the people in the Old Testament, the ones that didn't have a Bible, never had a church, the heathen that had never heard. God was patient with them. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now, but now commandeth all men everywhere, even in Pachastruum, to repent. That's the command. So my question for you is, have you repented? So preacher, I'm not quite sure. I went through some religious motions, but I'm not sure if that is what repentance is. So let's take a look at this. Look at Acts chapter 20. And I want to give you a couple of biblical ideas about what it means to actually repent. That word gets thrown around so often, I, I fear that it's misunderstood. Acts chapter 20, please look with me at verse 21. The Bible says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. To repent means to change your mind, to change your heart. Understand these two terms, repent Repent and turn, those are actually two different things. They go together, but they're not the same. Repentance is something inside where you change your heart or mind. Turning is something on the outside. It is what happens because you've changed your mind. You can be turned without repenting. Did you know that? The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, after that I was turned, then I repented. Because sometimes God will take away the stuff that you're using to sin. And when you've lost the stuff, you look around going, what was that? God says, I don't like that. So he has he stopped the bad behavior before your heart even changes. You know why some people quit drinking? They ran out of money. <laughs> they never came to their mind. They just, they just ran out of money. That's why some of you don't run around with women anymore. You ran out of money. <laughs> Amen. You see, that's turning. You've turned from a bad behavior, but there was nothing that changed inside. You'd keep doing it if you had the opportunity. There are a lot of people that stop bad behavior because they got caught. And it's embarrassing to get caught. And they fear that if they do it again, they'll be caught again. So they don't do it because they're afraid of how they will look in the eyes of men. But they've forgotten something. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God's looking at the condition of your heart and what you would do if you had the opportunity. This verse says repentance toward God. So somebody can be in one frame of mind and say, you know what? This is bad. This way of thinking is not good. I need to change my mind. That doesn't mean they are automatically going to change their mind to the right thing. You can have repentance toward something wrong. There are people that reach the end of their rope, and instead of turning to the God of the Bible, they turn to Islam. There are some people, their lives go horribly bad, and instead of rushing into the church to find Christ, they rush out of the church and become atheist. That is repentance, but not toward God. What do we need? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So, biblical repentance is this. Right now, this is the way I think and feel about God. And then God steps in and says, hey, you're thinking wrong. You have offended me. And because of your sins, you must be punished. I have no choice but to punish you. I don't want to punish you. I love you. But you are forcing my hand. I have to punish you because I'm holy. Now, I have given you a way to come right with me. I sent my son to die on a cross. And when he was on that cross, I took all of your sins and put them on my son. He paid for your sins. Now, if you don't want to pay for your sins, you can, by faith, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's repentance? God, I hear what you're saying. I'm guilty. I deserve to be punished. I don't want, I don't want to stay like this. I want to change. And then God says, there's the change. Turn to Him. And then we turn and we say, Lord, please save me. 
That's repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Many people will think, well, repentance is simply this. I'm just going to change the things I'm doing. I'm going to stop doing some bad things. Think about this for a moment. Actually, you can look online. It's happening in California right now. Thieves are going into stores, into malls. I saw one last week. He went into an eye store. He ripped every device off of the counter. You know it has a cord on it. He ripped all of them off while the other customers stood there and watched. The workers stood there and watched. He ripped every one of them off, put them in a bag and walked out. Didn't even run, walked out. No one stopped him. This is happening all over California. Now imagine... Imagine some child running through a store, you running through a store, knocking stuff down, breaking things, and then the manager comes out and says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Well, I was just bored. I, I just thought this would be fun. Okay, stop doing that. Okay, I'll stop. Now, do you think the manager's done with you? No, somebody's got to pay for all that nonsense. You just broke a lot of stuff, a lot of merchandise. You can't just walk out and go, okay, sorry, I'll stop and walk out. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to pay. Friend, listen, you've been breaking law after law after law, the laws of God. You've been sinning continually. Many times we sin and we don't even know we're sinning. Haven't you ever offended somebody you didn't know you offended them? You said something wrong, but you didn't know it was wrong until later they say, hey, that bothered me. You know how many times we do things wrong and God is upset? We don't even know it because we're not paying attention to that. You can't just say, oh, God, sorry, and then just go on about your life as if nothing big happened. Something big happened. And in order to repent, to change your mind, you have to say, Lord, I, have to, I am going to take responsibility for this. I did it. Lord, how can I make it right with you? And this is where God steps in and says, listen, there's nothing you could ever do to pay for the mess you made. There's no payment big enough that you could make. I had to step in and make the payment for you. My son died and paid for your sins. So now you know what's required with repentance? Humility. To say, God, what I did was so horrible that I could never pay for it myself. And, and I know, God, if, if I don't find a payment elsewhere, I will forever pay for those sins. Lord, I'm sorry. What can be done? He points to his son. He says, humble yourself enough to admit how bad you are, how bad those things are that you did, and come to my son. And he can save you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What other way, how, what other payment are you going to find? There's nothing else you can do. Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He can wash it white as snow. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 7, Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation not to be repented of. I hope you go home today with this proper understanding that Feeling bad about something is not repentance. Feeling bad about something could lead to repentance. Godly sorrow works repentance, saying, God, I'm sorry that I've offended you. God, I don't want to be the same way. I don't want to think, feel the same way. That repentance then, once you change, that brings you to salvation. Then you have faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you can be saved. Without that turning, without that changing, without that repenting, there's no salvation. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He said, I was born in a Christian family. I was born in a church. I got baptized when I was a baby. I grew up in a church. Have you repented? Has there been a time in your life where you realized I'm wrong He's right. How about this? Because I know a lot of young people kind of tune out on this because they grew up clean and, and they don't have a horrible life to turn from. And thank God for that. So here's what you would do, young person. Listen here. Young, young people that grew up right, listen to this. You have to realize this is how bad I could have been. I have the potential to be as wicked as anybody else in the room. And if it weren't for the grace of God putting me in a good family that kept me out of trouble, that would have been me. 
Say, God, I'm not going to trust my efforts to make things right. I'm going to trust your effort by sending your son. That's the only thing that can make me right. I'm going to close with this story. And I've, I've often thought of this story down through the years. I heard it over 20 years ago. And when I first heard it, I thought this was a bit extreme. But the longer I preach, the more I see the, the, more I see the importance of this story. This is over 150 years ago. There was a, a farmer in America, a white guy, and he had a few black workers on the farm. One of them was a preacher. And this farmer had heard that this black preacher was having a revival at his church, at the black church. And uh, every night there were people getting saved and good things were happening. So the farmer one day was out there talking to the black guy and he was, he was slopping the pigs, as we say. I don't know what you call it here, but, you know, feeding the pigs. And, and he called the man over. He said, tell me what, what's been going on there at the church because I see you guys there every night. You guys are there for hours. And that black guy started to tell him how he'd preached the gospel, how people had gotten saved. And that, that, that farmer got under conviction. He said, well, what about me? Could I be saved? He said, yes, so you could. He said, what do I have to do? He said, well, boss, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you need to do. Boss, if you want to get saved, you need to get out from on that side of the fence, climb over that fence, get, on, get in here with these pigs. And I think if you were willing to get on this side with the pigs, you could probably get saved. And that farmer said to him, that's ridiculous. In order for me to get to God, you want me to climb over a fence and run around, roll around with the pigs? How's that going to get me closer to God? And that white farmer just stormed off, angry, upset. Who does he think he is telling me to get in there with the pigs? The next day, the farmer came back, found that guy in there slopping the pigs. He said, hey, I've been thinking about our conversation isn't there anything else I could do? He said, boss, I tells you the truth. If you want to get to God, you're going to have to come over this fence and get in here with us pigs. And that white guy just stormed off angry, full of pride. Who does he think he is talking to me like that? A few days went by and that white farmer came back again, but this time with tears in his eyes. And he didn't stop to ask that worker anything. You know what he did? He pushed the worker out of the way. He climbed up over the fence and jumped in with the pigs and started rolling around. And he said, I was ready to be saved. <laughs> now, see, some of you get it. Some of you get that story because you've been there. You jumped the fence a long time ago. You left your pride on the other side. And you said, Lord... If it weren't for the grace of God, that's me in there, just a mess. I will take my place with the pigs because I know I need to be born again and become a new creature in Christ. And I'm not too big and I'm not too proud to admit how filthy and disgusting I am. You know why a lot of folks don't get saved? Because a preacher gets to the end of the sermon and says, listen, if you want to if you want to find the Lord, you can come right down here and find Him. And as, so as soon as the guy says that, hands begin to tremble, a nervous sweat breaks out, and you think, okay, I, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. Okay, I believe, I believe that there is a place with fire because Jesus said there is. I don't want to go there. And I know that Jesus died on the cross. He paid for my sins. I believe that. But to walk from your seat down to this altar... Just there's something in there stopping that going, but everybody else would know that I'm going down there with the pigs. That's why we give an altar call. You say, why, don't, why do you make all these extra steps? We're not. We're, we're just wanting to make sure that there's no pride involved. We're wanting to make sure you're serious. And I want you to know that in your mind, in your heart, you're marking the moment where you put pride aside and came down here with the pigs. And said, Lord, I am not too big to repent. That's what you told me to do. And therefore, I'll gladly do it. Whatever I need to change, whatever's not right in me, whatever's keeping me from you, I want to put that aside. Nothing between 
my soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear, let nothing between. I say this because I love you folks. I pray for you. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If you've never had that moment where you've changed your mind, changed your heart, said, Lord, I'm coming to you, now's your chance. There's a fence right about here. And if you have the courage, you're welcome to come jump the fence. Let's all stand if you would. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a moment to pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. My invitation this morning is very direct. You can come for any reason. Listen, you can come, do business with God. But if you have never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, if you have never admitted to the Lord that you are worthy of hell, that you are not worthy to walk with Him, that you are a sinner, Friend, why would you get saved if you're not lost? You first have to know you're lost. Why don't you come down here and say, God, I've, I have offended you more than I could possibly know. But I know you love me more than I could possibly know. Lord, change me. Lord, I don't want to trust myself anymore. I'm not enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not righteous enough. I believe, Lord, the only thing that can make me clean is the blood of Your Son. Lord, please wash me clean. If you've never done that, friend, there are plenty of people down here praying. How about you come jump the fence? Visitors can jump the fence. Church members can jump the fence. Old people can jump the fence. White and black people can jump. It doesn't matter. You understand? It doesn't matter. You're all in the same boat. We're all there together. Sinners. And if you don't turn, you'll burn. Jesus could not have been more plain. The 3rd of August, 1996, I knelt down in my pastor's house. I said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell, but I don't want to. Please come into my heart and save me. Simple prayer, but I meant it. You know what happened? He came in. He saved me. Praise God, He saved me. And now I can say my sins are gone. But you got to take your place with the pigs. If you don't, that sudden destruction, you won't be expecting it. This couldn't happen to me. Oh, yes, it could. We'll give these a moment to pray. You folks take your time. If anybody down here needs a little help, perhaps. You'd like for somebody to chat with you about how to be saved? We're happy to do that. You can just lift your hand and put it right back down. Somebody will come help you. We'll do it private. Thank you. I appreciate that. Brother Garrett, could you come meet me down here? Folks, I appreciate you, so many of you, jumping the fence. We're not done yet. If you want to come down, you come on. This, this is why in this part of the service we do it with heads bowed and eyes closed. This is you and God.
We'll take just a minute more. You know, I've sat on, on too many bedsides now and watched people take their last breath. I've seen them, I've seen them with tears in their eyes talk about why did I wait so long? They came to Christ in their last hours. You don't have to wait that long. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to close the service. But I'll leave this open just to a bit. I'm going to leave the invitation open that after we're done, if, if you still have questions, you're more than welcome to come find me. I'd be happy to explain whatever it is you need explained. Because by all means, we want you to be saved. Whatever that takes. Whatever it takes. Father, thank you. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you, Lord, that when you were here on this earth, you didn't hold back. You told us what we needed to hear and what we needed to do. Father, I want to thank you for making salvation possible, for sending your son to die on a cross so that we don't have to stay the way we are, but we can be changed. Father, perhaps today there are some here struggling with that decision, struggling to admit where they're at. Lord, help, help us to take our place with the pigs. Father, please reach down and grab a hold of that hard heart. Squeeze, Lord. Squeeze. Father, I don't want anybody here in this church to one day open their eyes and realize they missed it and forever perish. Please, God, grab a hold of those hearts. Fathers, we dismiss. Help us to hang on to what we've heard, not to be ashamed of you and your word, but to rush out and maybe today turn another conversation towards the Lord and tell them lovingly that they need to repent. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.